0: Hi everyone and welcome to the POMA podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Um, Great to have you here today listening. Um, I'm delighted to welcome my friend Lisa Mickey to the show today. Welcome Lisa.
1: Hello everybody. Hello James. Good to be here.
0: Um, Yeah, it's good to have you on here. Uh, Lisa is a uh, podcaster. She's also um, a writer and does a bit of speaking as well. So, um, yeah, we're, I'm excited to have her on the show. We're going to be talking about a topic we've not really talked about on the show before. Um, sex. And even saying that on a recording is a bit, feels a bit weird for me. Like um, That's that's the extent of... And we'll get on to why that might be later. But um, yeah, we're going to talk a bit about purity culture and how sexuality impacts our identity and is linked to our identity and how the degree to which purity culture has shaped a lot of people. And uh, it's a really important subject. It's one that we need to talk about, and we need to get rid of the shame around talking about this subject. And Lisa has done a lot of that on her podcast. She's done a whole series on this topic, and uh, so I thought I'd have a run, and we could kind of unpack it. So, um, yeah, what was kind of your route into talking about this on your podcast, Lisa?
1: Well, I think you and I have connected a little bit before talking about how. We need to have more conversations around sex and have it be normalized. And my podcast is, well, (laughs) it has a very provocative title, um, which is actually not about sex. It's called Getting Naked with Lisa. The premise is we are designed to live naked and unashamed. And when I think of... Um, how we do that when we talk about sex, but when we put all of the shame on top of it, like you're referring to purity culture, we've packed all this shame on top of it. Well, it's hard to live naked and unashamed in the rest of life if we are continuing to hide in the shadows and not talk openly about some of these more, uh, taboo topics. So I, I like talking about it because I think that it, it is a lot to do with, um, how we see ourselves and and I just like to take some of the sting away from it so I think that's where I went to when I wanted to do my my series yeah it was, it was more general not I didn't get into how to's or anything like that <laughs> it
0: was definitely more <laughs> of no, <a> really <laughs> what series. you're talking about <laughs> yeah it's a really good series I've listened to it it's um it's fantastic and uh thank it's, you yeah so I definitely recommend that um And a very provocative title for the podcast, yes. Um, I heard there's another podcast out there I listen to quite a lot called Inside of You, which has nothing to do with sex whatsoever, but it's quite a provocative title. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, and I just want to talk about first, just like when we talk about purity culture, just to unpack what that is, because some people might not understand what that is. Um, Purity culture, my understanding of purity culture, and I'll ask you to share yours in a minute, is it comes from kind of this whole idea of you don't have sex before marriage and um, that, you know, talking about sex and, you know, engaging in discussions about sex before you're married or about to get married is wrong and sinful and um, that it's somehow like shameful to talk about sex until you're married and that it's kind of this, um, yeah, that it's kind of dirty and naughty and like to be pure before God you have to be save sex for marriage, you know, and people use the Bible to justify this, like they do with a lot of a lot of things, um, which aren't always helpful. And it was kind of big in the nineteen nineties. It got really big in America and people started wearing purity rings and saying they were gonna save themselves till marriage and um, there was a book that came out around that time which talked about not even dating um by uh, which we've both probably read, or well, I, I, I read it, and uh, it did a lot of damage to me, which was called like, I Stating Goodbye, um, where a guy advocated not even holding hands or anything like that until you were married, which was a bit extreme. But that's kind of purity culture, as I understand it, and experienced it. You know, I, I decided when I was growing up, I was just told, like, you just don't have sex till you're married. So, didn't talk about sex at all. You know, so it was just kind of a, a taboo subject completely. Until you're getting close to getting married, and then you can talk about it with your vicar and in marriage preparation, and then that's it. You know, you kind of that's that's it. You still don't talk about it publicly. You don't have discussions about it. It's just this kind of. It's always this kind of thing about shame and things are hidden. Um, That is my experience of of purity culture. um, And of course, I know it's a lot more prominent in America. So um, I'd like I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it.
1: Well, the uh, Josh Harris book came out when I was in my early 20s. So I missed the really intense uh, bits of that. In fact, there was another book, and I wish I had looked it up before, Before we came on, because I wasn't even thinking about this, but I remember a friend of mine and I were taking a road trip to New York and we decided to read out loud a book that was not that, but it was different and it was something more about how you thought about the person that you were uh, wanting to to be in a relationship with, so it was kind of a, a lesser counter to that book. I don't think it was meant to be counter; it came out about the same time. And I, it will I will not think of the top of my head here because it's been <laughs> a long time. <laughs> we won't <laughs> say exactly how many years since then. Um, but when I was growing up, I don't want to. I don't think that I was necessarily in the same that the purity culture, there was definitely a lot of shame around sex and a lot of uh, dysfunctional stuff um, around all of that. But as far as my church um, going days, and I was definitely, I was, I think I was the only one in my family going to church at one point in my teens. Um, It was, I think I was at that point in a little bit less strict of a church. We still didn't talk about sex that much. Um, but for me, it was always in the, you just don't, you wait, you don't have sex. It's always just say no, you know, mm. in the eighties for most people it was about drugs with, for me, it was about sex, don't have sex. Um, but I've never been much of a rules for rules sake person. <laughs> so I had a lot of strong convictions around waiting um, and a lot of the same reasons that I would still say um, is best to wait until you have a, a, a committed partnership. So I probably have not shifted tons. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I think the difference for that is I don't put what I think is the best or what's good for me, that that's the one way to go. Um, mm. I think that's part of the issue. Um, cause I know me and my emotional, uh, <laughs> attachment and and that type of thing. So for me, it's still best to to wait. But when I was younger, it was still that everybody should wait. And for me, it was uh, when I was dating uh, uh, the serious boy that I was dating in my late teens, um, we were going to get married eventually. So I could twist the rule around a little bit. And since that was the only person I'd ever be with, um, Mm -hmm. we could have sex. So, But the hard part about that is it still affected um the purity culture bit of it, even though I wasn't in the hardcore purity culture, none of my friends, we didn't, yeah, my friends did not, uh, I, I wasn't around a group of people who were heavy into that in my late teens, early, early, early 20s. Um, but so when that breakup happened, what happens with purity culture and with this need to wait till you're married suddenly you're ruined. You're, you're no longer pure. You're no longer saving yourself for that one relationship. And so it had a tremendously devastating effect on how I saw myself as a viable uh, person that somebody worthy would want to date and marry in the future. So it did affect me even though I was not as deeply embedded into it as it sounds like you were.
0: Yeah. And I didn't even know what it was at the time. I just presumed it was just like the Christian position that you, you just don't have sex before marriage, period. And that's all right. the, that's the only conversation I had about sex when I was growing up, you know, literally.
1: Oh, and see, I talked um, about sex a lot. <laughs> I, I didn't <laughs> well, know. So that anything. was probably a big difference too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because I grew up in a bit of a dysfunctional home. I didn't have the conversation at home and didn't really like, engage with science at school so I didn't really learn the science of it either so I didn't know much about sex you know even the terminology I didn't really know until I was in my late teens early 20s what it meant and even then I kind of tried to avoid talking about it because um just because it just wasn't the right wasn't the done thing I was a Christian you know I was you know meant to be all like pure until I married and you know keep my mouth pure and not keep my thoughts pure and yeah, you know, not do anything and uh, not even have a discussion about it. You know, it, it didn't even really enter my consciousness because, you know, and I wasn't dating. I didn't have any girlfriends at the time, and so it wasn't even entering my consciousness anyway. It was like this fantasy. Like I'm, I'm a fauny enneagram, so I had you know daydreams about things and, like you know, so I think about my wedding day or whatever. I think about getting married at some point in the distant future, but it wasn't a reality for me. And <clears> it was just like, well, sex is not in my life at all. Like I'm not. You know, I'm just kind of asexual until I meet somebody, <laughs> you know. Um,
1: well, I think that's what purity culture does to people. I absolutely yeah. think that's true. Yeah. I think it turns, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't say here are some, these desires and these these energies and these impulses that are normal and healthy and part of the developmental landscape. It was shut that down. Down because you're not ready for that and you don't have an appropriate outlet for it. So, therefore, if you have these impulses, these desires, these even these fantasies, something is bad. Mm. And I do think that people shut all of that down and then we're half dead because we're not energized. We're we're, we're always all any kind of desire then becomes suspect, any Mm. kind of excitement or any energy that comes up any emotion becomes suspect especially if it has to do with someone of the opposite sex or anything to do with you know sexual mm. sensation at all right so we shut it down and i think we shut that down to the detriment of every other part of ourselves
0: yeah i absolutely agree you know, i mean like 20 years later my perspective has completely changed yeah, I mean, but even three or four years ago, I was still, I still was in, quite embedded in purity culture, even with a very progressive liberal theology. I still had, a, I still, I was still consciously, right. like, saying, like, I'm not I'm saving sex till I'm married, you know, like, I, I you know, I, I was kind of just, that's how it is, you know. And I was having more conversations about sex, but I wasn't, it still was kind of this firm, like, you know, sex outside of marriage is wrong, sexual desire outside of marriage is wrong, you know, that kind of thing. It was still embedded in my consciousness. And it's funny because we we, we talked about, we had a long conversation before we did this recording about um, our stories. And um, I actually realised in that conversation that even now, when I've actually, the last couple of years, learned to engage with my desires and talk about them with people and express my, like, that part of myself in a healthy way, to, to close friends and just talk about it openly and not be so ashamed of it, um, there's still bits of it that are inside my consciousness. Like this kind yep. of, and, and even in the language I use, like wanting to, um, like there's some kind of, and we're going to get onto identity. This is what it comes into identity because it shapes our identity. Purity culture kind of is like, like, you know, so I was, because I wasn't married, I hadn't had sex and I still haven't. And so I kind of wanted to keep hold of that identity, um, and as as if it was somehow more pure than than people who'd had mm-hmm. sex, and that was Absolutely. something in my subconscious that I didn't even know was there. Like because there's nothing different about somebody who's had sex and somebody who hasn't, and um, not yeah, from a
1: value I, and worth standpoint, yeah. but there are. Differences in the sense of exposure and experience oh, yeah. and familiarity, yeah. Yeah. right? Because yeah. I, I feel like yeah. what you're saying is what is embedded in our identity. What's embedded in what comes more naturally to us is what's familiar, and that's what's familiar to you. So it's been nor- so that's what's been normalized yes. for you. Yes. Yeah, and it and does it, have an effect on how we move forward and what experiences and risks we're even willing to take because we aren't just saying, oh, that was great that I had that experience. We're saying our our insides, our identity piece that wants to feel good about ourselves is saying, that was my experience. It was the best experience because that allows me to feel good about myself as opposed to it was one option of experiences. And now there are other options of experiences. And what's the best option for me in this moment? Mm, I think it's when we get linked into, yeah i think it's it's that our our insides desire to be linked to what's familiar and to 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 break out of what's familiar is that scary risky thing so we build up the familiar as the good thing
0: yeah that's absolutely spot on yeah i agree with that and i think there's this kind of i tied that i tied this kind of i'm a virgin thing to my value for so long that you kind of have to it's, you can't just take it off. You have to <clears throat> you have to unravel it, you know, um, and and just gently pull it apart, you know, and so that it's not anymore. You know, because there's a part of me. I guess that there's still a part of me. I think in my subconscious that would think that if I wasn't in a committed long-term relationship, um, which was heading towards marriage at least, you know, when I when I have sex for the first time, then there's something deficient or Less valuable <laughs> about me, or less valuable about that experience, or that I am somehow dirty because of that, or whatever. And that's that's not a conscious thing anymore. It's but, right. it, but it's in, but it's still in my subconscious. And this is the damage that that purity culture has done to not just me, but to lots of people. And for the other people, it's it's even worse than that. Um, you know, it. And I, I heard uh, somebody I know told me that there was some research that had been done into men who would save themselves till marriage and that they said that the psychological damage had been so much to the extent that it it made it made it difficult for them to perform sexually because they had they had trained themselves for all this time to think sex is wrong Mm. and they can't do it and then suddenly they can do it like well they allegedly can now do it because they're married and they because they their brain is kind of tuned into this is wrong but so well, we've shut it down and shut, yeah, it, yeah, down shut it down and shut it down.
1: How do you, you can't just turn it on again or, yeah. or turn it on at all? It's like a cold start. And it's so against everything that you have trained your body and your mind to do. There's not like a, a magic switch that gets flipped just because all of a sudden, freedom isn't a crossing the threshold into another season of life. Freedom is is having options and making choices. Mm. And all along we shut it down instead of saying I'm choosing to do this or to not do this. We're calling it a choice, but it's really you're you're condemned if you do that. And so therefore we shut it all down. So that makes perfect sense to me that it has and I I've, I've witnessed that where men who have shut it down it, it either comes out sideways, <laughs> right? Where there's. Uh, dysfunction in other areas, mm. um, or, or, or straight on sexual dysfunction where you can't perform because now it's become this great big thing and your whole, everything about you has been trained to not feel that, to not, you know, I mean? not, and not to feel that in a healthy way. Maybe we have felt it, um, in it, sideways, right? Mm. Doing things behind closed doors by ourselves where, We've entertained certain fantasies or certain, you know, in our own minds thinking no one's ever going to see that or, or have a, a say in that or it's not going to touch any relationship that I have. But then when it comes to actually being able to experience a healthy sexual partnership, there's been no... There's been no healthiness all along the way. So how how could men and women, for that matter, expect themselves to all of a sudden show up
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: when it's okay right now? You're free to have sexual experiences. And yes, yes. Th- there's no magic to it.
0: Mm, absolutely. And I mean, I have a very close friend who told me um, that, uh, and I've got permission to tell this story. That um, the first time he had sex with um, his partner. Um, or they wanted to have sex. He, like, they were all kind of ready for it and everything, and then suddenly he just, like, he couldn't perform. It all just went to pieces, like, at the last minute. Like, you know, um, and it just, yeah, it was just a nightmare for him, and he felt so ashamed, you know. Um, and, you know, we, we had a talk about it, and, yeah, I mean, everything's okay now, um... You know, as I say, he's given me permission to tell that story, but it's, but it, yeah, it, it, this is this, this is what it does to people, and it we have to have to get rid of it. I mean, it actually seems like, ironically, that purity culture is actually counter to the way that we were created. You know, <laughs> yes, if you're talking about a so. Christian perspective and that God created us, and God created human beings, that it, that the way that we are created doesn't fit with purity culture at all. It, it, it's counter to that completely you know so um yeah
1: at the same time i think when what happens though is people then say well if purity culture doesn't fit how we're created then it must be the opposite or take
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Take,
1: pull, pull the whole rug out and now everything goes and anything goes you know, when people talk about deconstruction, my opinion is deconstruction is really deconstructing our sense of who we are. Yes. So everything to do with e- deconstruction agree. is yes. I'm attached to the social structure. I'm attached to these identity things and this belonging piece, and purity and all of that have all all part and parcel to that. So if we strip everything away and we don't have any way to think about it, any way to to really weigh out options. And we're just like, well, we can do anything. Anything goes. That's not really an option either. That's just saying I should be out having sex anytime I want. Well, that's not freedom either, because you're not no. really making a no. choice. You're not discerning what is it about me that makes me special and unique, and what is it about this person that draws me to to him or to her, and and what is it that we're doing in this moment at whatever level maybe it's just for fun are we taking into consideration all of the possible ramifications all of the you know so so taking all the rules out of it well i guess i shouldn't say that take the rules out of it but don't take the wisdom and the need to Mm. to know who we are and to see the other person and acknowledge who they are don't take that out of it
0: yeah I, i absolutely agree with that i mean i'm yeah I, I i absolutely i think you know that's 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 the danger isn't it in our culture is we're, we're so binary you know and dualistic in our <laughs> culture that we kind of say if it's not that then it has to be the complete opposite and it's like well no actually it's probably somewhere in between you know it's like don't feel like you have to save yourself until marriage but honor other people respect other people and respect okay. yourself you know. Um, well, and no, um,
1: what are you saving yourself for? And and I yeah. think that there's something to say. I'm not gonna like. Clearly, we're not gonna walk outside of our front door and see somebody pass by and have sex with them. So right. clearly, we're <laughs> we're saving sex for something, right? Yeah, I mean, not, there's nothing yeah. wrong with it. If, if that person's willing, and <laughs> maybe you would, but um, but there's we all have some sense of where it belongs and where it doesn't. And I think having Acknowledging what it is—not that we're saving ourselves in a in a purity sense—but where is what is our vision? What is our value? We're we're clearly choosing to do things in a certain time and space, and and a, and a type of relationship. So, being cl- more clear on those things is is probably healthier than saying, "Do it or." don't do it like you do it all the time or do it never right (laughs) i think when when is it good when is it good for me when is it healthy
0: yeah that's right yeah and i mean i guess yeah i mean in terms of my own story i and this is in no way prescriptive for anybody else by the way um but (laughs) i i would think that i think for me i want to be when i'm having sex i want to be Giving of myself to the other person for their enjoyment. Um, I want to make the other person feel like they're safe in a safe space, um, where they can be completely vulnerable, um, naked, <laughs> and not just physically. Naked. <laughs> and
1: shame, That's right. <laughs> you
0: know, not just physically naked, but in a, in, in in every sense naked, and um, right. And be safe and relaxed. Mm-hmm. And I th- and I my my kind of theory, and this may sound a bit romantic and idealistic is that if both people do this, then both people will enjoy it. Um, um, If both people are seeking to please the other person and make them feel safe and loved and valued um, and give them a good time, (laughs) then both people will have a good time and it'll be amazing. You know, and I think that, you know, I, I still haven't had sex yet. I'm not in a relationship. I'm not dating at the moment. But... Um, that's what I. That's what I would want when that when that comes, you know. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's really. I for me, it's important to honour the other person, whoever that person is, um, and you know to respect them. It's not sex shouldn't be for me about just your your own gratification and pleasure. It is partly about that, and that is important to mm-hmm. to acknowledge your own desires and your own needs. That is an important part of sex, but I think also you have to it's not just about you and I think at its best you know and um, that's right. that's that's what I would that's what I would want I don't I'm not I'm not gonna tell anyone else what to do <laughs> because you know I think that's part of the problem if we start doing that but it's um yeah that that's what I would that's that's my perspective on it as somebody who's not had sex yet that's my perspective on it <laughs> actually <laughs> It
1: makes sense, absolutely. I think, uh, and I think what you said is not prescriptive. I think that's a key component. I think there's wisdom, though, that we can each have in a vision for what it is we individually need. Do we know ourselves as opposed to using sex to learn about ourselves? Well, and I, I know people would argue with me about that and say, but That's how I get to know myself. And I think there is a both and because it's not like, oh, wait until you know yourself to go and experience sexual experiences with other with, with someone else. Um, but through it we should be learning about where our what is our limit? How how emotionally attached do we get? Is this a a compatible sexual relationship? Do we want the same thing? So I think that communication piece, which is what you're kind of alluding to, what does the other person want? Do they feel safe? All of these things need to be built into it all along the way. Mm. And that's, you know, and so it's not prescriptive, but I think there are certain things we can be thinking about that will allow for those those pieces. Yeah. You know, otherwise, how are we going to know the other person feels safe? How are we going to know um, that it's a compatible, mutually um, enjoyable experience?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I want to also say to people, I know there's probably a lot of people who have been through purity culture and have been damaged by it and are still trying to work their way out of it, you know, and, you know, it is, it is okay to have sexual desires. It is okay Absolutely. to acknowledge those desires. Um, and it is okay to, to, to want to have sex. And, and it is definitely okay to talk about sex and talk about your sexuality. It, obviously with somebody that you trust and somebody that in somewhere that's a safe space. Um, but, it is important. I think it's important we do all of that. One of the ways that I've kind of unlearned a lot of purity culture and come to terms with my sexuality is by talking about it with a very close friend of mine, and who has, um, who has committed to talking to me about it and keeping it confidential and um, giving me feedback and just listening, and acknowledging my story and um, giving me helping me to start. Talking about my desires, and that's been really, really helpful for me. Um, so I really want to encourage people who are listening, who maybe are still struggling, that you know you don't have to be where you are. You don't have to stay trapped. Um, there is a way out of it, and you can't have a healthy relationship with your sexuality. You know you don't have to be trapped by purity culture forever. And uh, I think that's really important for people to know.
1: A hundred percent agree, and I think it's it is taking steps, as opposed to expecting a switch to be flipped. Um, now I'm no longer in purity culture, so I should be this way. We kind of uh, trade one should be for another should be. We mm-hmm. were kind of saying that before, but like you said, you're you're kind of transitioning into being comfortable in your own skin by having conversations, by um, approaching the topics in a safe relationship where you can reveal what it is you you want and think about in your experiences so it's not to to shed our skin from purity culture suddenly we just start going and doing things differently we have to kind of stretch a little bit and 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 take those steps to say how are we talking about it are we are we open to being confused are we okay just saying this doesn't make sense because this is what I've been told all my life, and now it's different. And what does that look like? I think a lot of people are stuck in a shame spiral because they don't even feel the the, the freedom to talk in open spaces. It's either—I think people—so people coming from from purity culture have this, we are— put on a pedestal if we are the, the purest, right? We, mm. We've saved ourselves for marriage, where right? And then we come out of that and we're in a culture where anything goes and you're cool if you are somebody who knows what they're doing sexually. <laughs> Suddenly mm. you're kind of in the same space because you still don't know anything and you're still you're down at the bottom of the barrel as opposed to the top, but you still have no means of becoming healthy. So being able to talk about it, like this is what you're – trying to do with the podcast is open up these conversations and what I've been trying to do with my podcast is how do we talk about these things so we can take what is the next step maybe the next step for somebody is to go out and find someone to, to have a sexual experience with I don't know or maybe it's just having these conversations maybe it's talking about things that were taboo to talk about you know in the past
0: yeah and I remember being so uptight in relationships I was in one particular relationship i was in um wow it's a long time ago now five six years ago and i was so tight about um physical interaction and you know like what what should i do what shouldn't i do what you know and we talked about boundaries and set boundaries healthy boundaries but still i was a bit like anxious all the time because i didn't want to get carried away and i didn't want to do anything inappropriate i didn't want to violate those boundaries and but you know obviously when you but when you're in the heat of the moment with somebody and you're getting passionate, it's, it's not a boundaries answer, a are much more difficult to, to keep to, um, for both sides, not just for, not just for men. And yeah. And so and I, but I had so much anxiety all the time about it. I wasn't relaxed. Um, right. Cause I still had this thing that it was dirty to talk about sex, that it was dirty to talk about my sexual desires. It was, you know, that it was, that it was wrong. And that I was a bad person if I did, and that I shouldn't talk about it, and I shouldn't speak about it with anybody, you know. And right. uh, yeah, I'm sure that purity cultures had, and in fact, I know it has, because I know I've seen people talk about their stories online. That it's it's caused mental illness, it's caused anxiety, it's caused depression, it's caused like you know, it's 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 just been so so damaging. And um, something like that for me can't be can't be something can't be divine. It can't be something that's that's just godly, you know, whatever you want, whatever term you want to call uh, call it. Um, but you know, it's it's not healthy, and it's it damages us. You know, it's that's one thing I always say about LGBT theology is like you know, non-affirming theology kills people. Right. Literally well, it keeps people. us
1: trapped and hidden. You know, and when um, we don't feel that we can talk about something and just be accepted for whatever it is we're thinking or feeling. that um, keeps us trapped and it keeps yeah. us in that, that place of, of, of shame. And that doesn't help anybody. So I, I agree with you 100%. Anything that keeps us shut up and shut down um, can't, can't be um, aligned with how we were designed to be.
0: That's right, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's all about communication for me. And actually knowing that our identity and our value doesn't come from what we do. Um, it doesn't come from what we have done or haven't done. It doesn't come from good decisions or bad decisions. It doesn't come from, like, meeting some standard that we're meant to meet. We are all infinitely and unconditionally loved and accepted and valued valuable as we are including our imperfections Mm -hmm. and that's not easy to accept because I struggle to accept it about myself a lot of the time but that's got I
1: think yeah I think that's something that through conversations through relationship we we can say Oh, I know that I am unconditionally accepted, but it's only by experiencing that from another person that we can affirm it. It's like we've got all these messages in our bones, right? You're not good enough, or um, you're not pure, or you're not, or you're or you're bad for thinking this or doing that. It's only by thinking and doing that in the presence of another person who accepts you. It's like, oh, right. I can I can say in my head i'm not bad for having this desire or this type of thought but until i am able to kind of expose that in relationship with somebody else i'm still going to maybe suspect that i am bad in my bones they're not going to release that does that make sense like yeah, i hope i'm explaining yeah. that the way i it, in my head it is a perfect picture but i'm yeah, not no, sure no, it's no, coming I,
0: out i i i get it yeah and it's it's, it's so much tied to our identity this I didn't realise how much sexuality was tied to our identity until I listened to your show. It was... And so much of who we are is tied to that. There's all the issues that we have about self-worth and shame and are we good enough, are we valuable enough, are tied to our sexuality and our ability to be honest about our sexuality and talk about it and not feel shame around it and um, acknowledge and accept who we are as a sexual person. Um, Because all of us are sexual people. We, you know, we're made that way. We're designed that way. Um, And, you know, if we feel shame around that part of who we are, then we're feeling shame about something that is intrinsic to how we're designed.
1: Absolutely. And I think those sexual messages that came... That they're kind of in our in in our uh, psyche, in our bones, in our in our consciousness, our subconsciousness. I think it's because those came at such a formative age when we were so had so many questions and 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 we didn't know who we were and we were kind of formulating not just our identity, but what we think about our identity. Like in our teen years, who we are is who we are. But in our teen years is when we are acknowledging who we are and learning to accept who we are. But it's such a crazy. I've got two, two teenagers now and one on the verge of being a teenager and one... I won't let grow up because you know I only one baby left. But <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but it's interesting watching swirl of emotions and insecurity, and I can identify with so much of that. And I think when we are going through in our in our adult years and unwinding these messages, we find they're so entrenched because they were the messages that were drilled in when we were trying to figure out who we are. Yeah. Right, we're trying to affirm. Mm. Oh, this is how I. This is how I'm seen as good. This is how I'm seen as bad. And we're still very rudimentary in our thinking of that. And so we cling to those things that people will we'll say that we're acceptable to people. And now we're. But aren't I acceptable all the time? And you're saying I'm unconditionally acceptable no matter what. Well, those are that has to go back into those some of that messaging to say, oh, even if I do this, even if I don't do that. And it's in relationship where somebody says, Yes, even when you do this or even when you don't do that, yes, even then you are Mm. accepted. And I think that's when we start to believe it at a deeper level.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. And we all need that. You know, we Mm -hmm. all need that. Whether that's close friendships or whether that's somebody we're in a relationship with, you know, either or both. Um, both, oh, both, both are yeah. good, But if you haven't, you know, if you're single, um, again, that's another thing about purity culture is this whole idea that if you're not married by the time you're 22, 23, 24, there's something wrong with you. Like, And again, I felt that as well, because I went through my twenties, all my friends got married, you know, mm. and, and then I wasn't married and even though I was dating, I wasn't married. And That kept going through my 30s, saw more people have get married, people have children, you know, and something in your brain is telling you there is something deficient about me because I'm not married yet. There's something, well I'm not mature, I'm not wise enough, I'm not capable of loving another person more than myself. I'm not there's something deficient about me because I can't because I can't do this thing that we're all meant to do. um, Well, you you
1: almost feel like you're not an adult yet. There's a sense of you're still a kid. You you sit at the kids' table, and then when you're married, you get to grow up and go to the the adult table. And it's funny because I have been married. I didn't marry until I was 31, so I was in my 20s not married. But thankfully, I was part of a large group of unmarried people, so that that helped a lot. But there's still that sense of pressure and feeling like you're not an adult yet. And (laughs) then I get married, and it's like, there's no monopoly on adulthood, and there's no guarantee that, like, I still have days It's like, oh, my goodness, when do I become an adult? <laughs> when, do, when do I arrive? Hmm. Because no matter where you are and what station in life, I've been single, I've been married, I'm single again, there is no magical arriving at, at being an adult or having it all together. There's only these things that we we take on from the culture around us that say, now you're in the acceptable pile where you used to be in the unacceptable pile. And that goes back to what you're talking about with purity culture in the singles. If you're a certain age beyond that, you're suddenly shoved into the unacceptable. Hmm. And if you're married, you're acceptable. Whether, whether you get married for the right reasons or wrong reasons, just having that married status gives you a certain feeling of accomplishment or arrival or acceptability in certain pockets of, of the culture. And, and that's that is how our culture is, and especially the church culture. So, yeah. But yeah. I just want everybody out there to hear me say, there is, you know, a lot of married people who, who aren't necessarily adult yet. So nobody has this 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 handle on what it means to be arrived or acceptable or an adult. We have to feel comfortable in our skin, no matter where we are whatever season whatever um station whatever we have to be able to have that sense of i'm comfortable in my skin i accept that i am acceptable
0: yeah and that's the root of it Mm -hmm. that's the heart of it it's it's about knowing that you are acceptable and loved and valuable as you are that you don't need anything else to define you that right whether you've done something or not whether you've been married or not whether you know whatever you've done or said again like what we, like we were saying it doesn't it doesn't define you and you don't have anything to have, be ashamed of you know you don't right. yeah you know, there's things that and you don't need to feel shame about the things that people have told you you have you should feel shame about like sex you know or whether you whether you're not married or those kind of things it, you, <clears> know, you don't have to feel shame about those things Um you know, and yeah, I'm just. It's just really, really important that that people know that.
1: I agree. I agree. <laughs> right on the same page with you, James. One hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, this has been a really good conversation. I think like, this is. I think this is. Hopefully, we'll do some more on this subject or and even other subjects as well. Um, but I think this is a really important. Conversation. I think people need to hear this, and I know that I would have benefited from hearing something like this a few years ago. Because um, you know, you shouldn't feel, you should not feel shame talking about your sexual desires and your sexuality, or you should not feel ashamed to be single. You should not be afraid, ashamed to be divorced if that's your story. You should not, you know, that more and more, more people are getting divorced. It's it's more part of our culture now. There's no shame in it. Um, if you know you should not feel any shame over your sexuality or your sexual identity um, you know um, uh, you shouldn't feel any shame about any of that there's you know um, polyamorous people there should be no shame in that I've got polyamorous friends and they have really healthy relationships with all of their partners all their partners know each other it's all about love and trust and honesty um and in my age it's like family um you know and for them and so i then i see something beautiful in that and divine in that um and so you know and, and i think it's important to recognize that your story is not somebody else's story that you'll have your own relationship with sex and sexuality and that's your story and again it's like it's not being prescriptive um, and saying that, that what my, my standards or my way of doing things applies to everybody else because we're all different.
1: Right. I think we have to know where are my vulnerabilities. I have to know where my vulnerabilities are because that's what I'm responsible for. And I need to understand where the other person's responsibilities are because that's or their vulnerabilities. Did I say that right? So if I know where their vulnerabilities are, then I can be responsible to them to respect their space, where their limits are. And if I don't know my vulnerabilities and I don't know the other person's vulnerabilities, that's where it gets dangerous, mm. right? That's where you get people get hurt. People are, uh, can be disrespectful to one another, right? So, regardless of what the situation is, am I aware of my vulnerabilities? Am I growing in awareness? I don't know all of my vulnerabilities, but the ones that I am aware of, am I able to communicate that? Am I able to, um, to set limits so that I don't, so I can protect those vulnerabilities. I don't get hurt. And am Mm -hmm. I, am I willing to respect the boundaries, the limits somebody else has put on their vulnerabilities? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's a key piece. So like you talk about polyamorous people, I would have a really hard time with that. Because I have very different vulnerabilities than probably the folks who are in those types of relationships. Mm, yeah. So if, if they can handle that and, and they can do it in a healthy way that respects all of the people and everybody has that um, ability to say what's a good fit for them in that moment, I that's, hey, go for it. But that's what you're saying. So it's like you can't prescribe simply because I know my vulnerabilities that that is true for everybody. We can't universalize experience and, and vulnerabilities. But we can have that respect and that responsibility, right? I, I can be responsible for myself and I can be responsible to my partner or partners or whatever. And that's, I think, where that key piece comes in. How do we discern where all of that fits. And if we don't have those questions, then we're just swimming around in this stew of, we either feel shame or we're trying to get away from shame, but we don't have any direction. And sometimes we need some handles, right? Or we mm. slip back into shame, so, so what are the handles? Yeah. What questions can we ask ourselves? What are we looking at or looking for? What are we responsible for? What are our vulnerabilities? Are we seeing the other person or are we just scrambling after what satisfies our own desires or needs or wants? Mm. We have
0: to know that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been great. Um, thank you for coming on the show, Lisa. My uh, pleasure. Yeah, this uh, was fun. Yeah, this is <laughs> it's, really
1: it's not so hard to talk about sex, right? We can yeah. do this. We can make this a normal thing.
0: <laughs> yes, I think that's, yeah, and we'll do more of these, obviously. Um, I think we've got this, Lord. I think there's more to talk about on this subject. I think there's more to, for us to talk about, about a lot of things. So, um, yeah, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you for coming on.
1: Well, thanks for having me, James. It was definitely a, a fun fun topic and a necessary one. So thanks for for bringing it up and and, and pulling me in. I really appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Yeah. Um, So thanks for listening, everyone, um, and have a great day.